You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Heroes Needed, the Overwatch Players Podcast. I'm Dave, and today we're going to talk some more Overwatch, and we're going to talk uh, at first about, obviously, our last episode, mm-hmm. we touched on some of the heroes that we liked and some of the heroes that we wanted to play, or did play, or didn't play, and I thought, let's let's just jump straight in, and let's talk about the heroes we mentioned last time, who we were going to try, and see what we're up to. Yeah, definitely. So I talked about Sombra last time as the hero that I was going to try, and I've actually been playing quite a bit of Sombra. You know, I think one of the things we're going to talk about a bit later is Deathmatch, or maybe in a future episode, but Sombra's one I've been playing quite a bit on Deathmatch specifically, and yeah, I think she lends herself to that kind of style of play. I love the ability to, to drop a pack and then zip away if it gets a little bit too hot in there, uh, and yeah, the invisibility makes it great to kind of nip around the map as well, so great uh, mobility with her. How yeah. about yourself? See, uh, well, I... I I like Sombra a lot. I, I, I'm, again, not played very much, and I'm not very good when I have, but I thought I'd try some more DPS. I think last time I mentioned I was going to play Tracer a bit more, uh, and I have done, and I think that in uh, in Quick Play, which is where I spend most of my time, yeah. it's it's quite cool because you generally have enough of a team to cover you, and if you're not a great DPS player, you can still sometimes get away with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think I have done that. I think I'm still not... I'm still not great at heroes with lower health because mm. I, I tend to be a bit of a bullet sponge no matter how <laughs> I play. I always get in the way of things. Um, but And I'm, I don't time my uh, recall ability very well. Mm-hmm. So generally, I'll, I'll go to press the button the second after I've died. So <laughs> that's no good. But yeah, overall, I, I don't know if DPS is quite my thing, but I do enjoy playing as Tracer now a bit more than before. Yeah, and it's always fun to experiment, isn't it? Yeah, Tracer's movements and her recall is definitely one that the timings are crucial for, uh, and that's a skill that I don't have as much as I want it. <laughs> I think it's a hard one, isn't it? Because you see people who play characters like that, and there is a such a level of control and, and precision you have to have, mm. really. Things like, you know, I had to go into the settings, because I played on Xbox, uh, and I had to go in and I had to change the sensitivity of my controller, yeah. because the default... Just trying it with a with a character like um, I don't know, like a like a Reinhardt or or someone that's kind of quite slow, like an Orisa, that's yeah. quite slow, quite lumbering. It doesn't. It's not too much movement, really. Generally, you're going to go in one direction. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But once you're in a character like that who is smaller, quicker, more nimble, and needs to be able to to flick shots left and right and the rest of it, mm-hmm. the sensitivity was just terrible. Yeah. So I had to go in and like basically double the default setting before <laughs> it felt even remotely like playable with DPS heroes. Completely. I mean, when I played briefly on a PC, I want to get a PC in the future. I tend to play on PS4, um, and that completely ruined me to sensitivity. Uh, what what you can do with a mouse, the ways you say that you can flick shots, that is infinitely easier with a mouse. Um, even a, a hero like Diva that I tend to play, the amount of kind of steering and mobility that you have with her is tenfold more on a mouse. So yeah, definitely. I think the PlayStation controller uses now at like ninety to one hundred percent, just because you need that mobility to do anything quick on a console. It's it's yeah. crazy by comparison. And that's you watch the the league players play, and because that's all on quite powerful PCs. Yeah. When you see them um, with the the sort of the mouse control that they have, be able to flick back and forth and, and just get shots 
that you don't expect they've got time for, yeah. but because they've got that sensitivity so high, mm -hmm. they can just swing over and bam, it's gone, it's done. Yeah. Um, that's do have, awesome. Do they have the time for, or even the sight line? You don't even realize that a target that's moving across, you know, I think of some of the great Widow players, and the target's moving across quite rapidly. They're moving as well, potentially falling in the opposite direction, and they can hit a headshot from across a map. And well, it's that level of control that's I, baffling. I, I mentioned that. I've seen, uh, I've watched a couple of, of league games in the last couple of weeks, uh, and it's seeing players, I mean, I always mention Carpe, because yep. you know I love him, but players like Carpe, players like Sabiolbi, um, players who I've seen grapple into the air yep. and then manage a headshot on a moving target on the other side of the map. And I, I just have no idea. The, the level of knowledge of the maps themselves and sight lines and where people are going to be, it, it's, it's just, I would need to go to school and research <laughs> it in a way that I don't believe is feasible yeah. to have anywhere near the level of knowledge for that. Yeah, and and pull it's fascinating. You see almost a, because we, we, we described there, you, you mentioned seeing them in league when they're using these incredibly powerful computers. But obviously they're using a standard setup and a standard system across all of the different players. But what they are using that's non-standard is their keyboard and mouse. They have a very particular keyboard or a particular mouse for their kind of play style and for their kind of usage that they know inside and out. And you almost take on it. So there's an interesting parallel to traditional sports. You think of in baseball, the batter's ritual when, they goes up, when he goes up to plate and he does the same things every single time because that's his lucky ritual. You think of somebody with a particular set of um, you know, uh, shoes you know, for, for running in or whatever in a, in a football game, whatever it might be. Um, or a particular thing that they do to prep. These guys have a very particular mouse and a very particular keyboard, but in a real way, moving that physical object, they know what that feels like. It's not just the on-screen thing. They know exactly how that responds and exactly how that pulls and exactly how that's going to flick, and it's an interesting parallel between the, between the two sides of sports. I was just thinking before watching someone play, and I was thinking about that very thing, that sort of being able to know when you move the, the, the mouse where mm. the cursor, where the uh, reticle is going to end up. And I was thinking it's a bit like... Um, sort of graphic artists with graphics tablets yep. because the graphics tablets are a certain size so that when you move your um, input tool you know exactly where on that page you're going to put your, your cursor, your pencil, whatever it is you're yep. using. So it's, it's the same kind of idea. It's knowing that if you move your mouse at, uh, that much to the right, how far on the, on the screen that's going to travel. Mm. And that level of knowledge, which, which is amazing. And you're right, the different kind of technology. I remember uh, years ago having a PC, and the first thing I, I got for myself was a higher DPI laser mouse. Yeah. And, I, and that, was for, that was just for nothing. That was just for, I liked a quick mouse for moving around the screen. I wasn't yep. playing games. I wasn't doing anything like that. I, for some reason, I like to have a high sensitivity. I don't know why. Yep. But that's something I got. So then you see him going in with um, different keyboards, different mice that are set up in that way to allow for that level of precision. And then you see things like um, the pro controllers that you can get for Xboxes and Playstations and the rest. And then you start to understand why that makes a difference. Yeah. So I think for the longest time, I've looked at, uh, you know, for instance, the Microsoft Elite controller and gone, why would I pay two or three times as much for that controller? What's, it's, it's, surely it's the same kind of thing, right? And then you realize that, it, no, it's not. It, yeah. it actually is very different hardware that can change the way you play. And if you are playing, uh, not necessarily in a professional capacity, but if, for instance, if you're, a, uh, if you're a streamer or a caster um, and you've got a, a subscriber base or, or something like that, yep. that is your livelihood to a degree. And having the tools to allow that can make a huge difference. Massively. And I think, you know, there's, there's also a... I mean, I'm fascinated by this stuff in the way that I follow technology, but I feel like there's almost a philosophical thing to it, this philosophical component. 
you described that kind of using that, wanting to use that laser mouse because it, it was better in some way, in some intangible way when you were just going around navigating the computer, going on the internet. And it's this idea of reducing friction. It's that component of how do you get the idea in your brain out into the world? And whether that's just, I want to navigate through a page or click through some buttons on a screen, or that I want to be able to make that headshot and win this game. Anything that helps you to reduce that friction is worth a massive premium, whether it's a super fancy laser mouse or whether it's a, an elite controller like there. These guys are trying to use the best of the best for them because it's this is their reality. When they're in that game, that is a real world, and there's anything that will reduce that friction is going to help them in that way. It's fascinating to see. We're only a couple episodes in, so I'm not sure if we're doing episode titles yet, but if we are, reducing friction is probably going to be it. <laughs> it's um, definitely a winner. Yeah. So, that, that, so that's the, the short answer. If I want to be good at Tracer and DPS, I need to get a better controller. Yeah, that's, fancy that's, mouse. Yeah, basically. Fancy yeah. mouse. Team yeah, yeah. fancy mouse. Uh, so uh, outside of that, there's some other other cool developments mm. in the world of the Overwatch. Yeah, I think the biggest one. Yeah, one of the big ones to mention, I think, has to be the uh, charity skin yes. on Mercy. I think that Mercy is a character who suddenly was getting less love in yep. the meta because of Brigitte, because of shifts around how teams are, are, are setting up their composition, and suddenly Mercy wasn't appearing quite as much. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly they bring out this, this charity skin, which I think costs about £12 in the UK, uh, I think $15 in the US, I think. Yeah, that sounds um, right. All the proceeds for it going to breast cancer research, which yep. is an incredible cause, and it's a really cool skin for the character anyway. Absolutely. But then suddenly you see this huge uh, influx of people playing that character again because suddenly they've got a cool thing to show off. It's yeah. actually there for a great cause as well. Absolutely, you know, it's uh, it's wonderful to see Blizzard take this in this direction and to do it so well. I think a lot of people or a lot of companies, they as a lot of us do personally, they want to do more. They want to engage themselves with these charities, engage with these causes, and a lot of games or, or companies will sponsor a cause by kind of slapping a logo on something. Blizzard's taken the time here to build something that people actually want, to design something that looks so nice, and we know it's going to such a good cause, that like you say, you want to display that proudly. It's not a sticker or a badge or something. It's a really well-done skin. And I think as well, it's wonderful to see it be a hero like Mercy, who is a doctor. You know, we're actually celebrating the research that's being done and the doctors that are doing that research and the impact it's having rather than just putting a small badge or a logo on something. That's uh, something I hadn't even considered, actually. Mm. The character, yeah, the fact that she is actually a doctor in the game universe anyway, yeah. which is, yeah, it's a fantastic little nod because, of course, they could have picked any hero Absolutely. for that skin and that they have made that actual conscious choice to choose one that it is most fitting for, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, definitely, that would actually be involved in that as a doctor herself. It's, yeah. it's, it's good to see. It's nice for them to get that recognition. And isn't it nice to see gamers bragging about something for a change <laughs> that has a real, like, tangible benefit Absolutely. for the world? The idea that, the, you know, obviously Blizzard haven't yet disclosed how much they've raised mm -hmm. with that skin, but the idea that all that money is going for a great cause and all the players who are using that skin and showing off the fact that they've, they've taken part in that sort of uh, that fundraising appeal, if you will, because that's what it is, really. Yeah. They're, so they're bragging about something incredible, something yeah. that's actually, you know, because the thing is, 12 quid, most charities will say, give us a pound, give us two pounds, yeah. you know, give us a dollar or two, whatever, wherever you happen to be. But this one, it's, it's a considerable amount of money for a, for a video game skin that's not a physical object. Mm -hmm. You don't get to keep this in a real way. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, there's thousands, if not millions, of people who are happily handing that over for a cool thing yep. and a great cause. Yeah, and knowing that it's going to do some good in the world. 
Um, you know, I think you raise a really interesting point there. A lot of people, when they hear the word gamer, think of things like Gamergate and other kind of horrific or very, very unpleasant connotations to that word. To see people actually turning around and being like, no, I play video games and I want to do something good and this is how I'm able to do something good in a, in a way that's real and meaningful to me that's a wonderful thing to celebrate and it's it's just so nice to have blizzard behind that yeah yeah social responsibility from a company the size of blizzard yeah working out a way where they can give something back to a great cause but also give something to their fans Absolutely. and their players as well yeah and that's been a fantastic balance and it's i'm happy to say it's it's brought mercy back into the game <laughs> yeah um because I didn't like the fact that she disappeared because she's an incredible hero to have yeah. on your team. We, we, we missed Mercy yeah. in that kind of few months when she disappeared. Exactly. Uh, interestingly enough, um, we have spoken about Overwatch at length, Yep. Uh, of course, and we've actually managed to pique the interest of NerdOD's one and only Reg. Oh, brilliant. So much so that he has now invested in the game. Um, he, he messaged me the other night saying that he had gone from level zero to level eight overnight. Um, and... Uh, he actually is maining Mercy. Yeah. So it's quite cool that he's found that, that support is his niche. Um, he loves that character. He loves the, the, the skins and the, the customization of that character. And so much so that he's willing to put loads of time in to get himself leveled up because he's really fallen for it. So Definitely. Blizzard, if you're listening, that's us. You owe us one. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you can just picture him, kind you, in the early hours in the morning, furiously healing people. The image definitely fits. Yeah. But I, I think that's a, you know, it, it is a great point as well because still one of the best feelings I have with Overwatch or when talking about Overwatch is when you explain it to somebody and then a week two weeks however long it is later they go you know what I considered what you said or I played the free weekend or I looked online and I decided to pick up a copy and they just kind of say like thank you and then gush all of the details that they can think of I'm playing Mercy and I had this amazing night and this happened and this happened I played this map and this team was amazing and you get all of this information from them and just that pure sense of joy and that sharing of a moment you know that's happened a few times with people when I've shown them Overwatch and that's nice every single time it comes back to it so yeah all, all the best to you Reg it's wonderful to see it's only a shame that he plays on PS4 and I play on Xbox One, so I will not benefit from Rich's great mercy skills. Yeah, he's one of mine. He's on the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of, of support heroes, I think mm. it's important that we talk about Brigitte. I definitely. Because although she is still new, she's someone who has not only come into the meta quite strongly for the Overwatch League, oh. um, she's also become quite a firm fan favorite. Yes. Um, and also, uh, I recently was at an event where uh, Matilda Smedius, the voice uh, of Brigitte, was there. And she was so jealous. genuinely very, very lovely. Cara <laughs> uh, Theobald and Lucy Paul were there as as well, uh, Tracer and Mercy, respectively. Yeah. They were also lovely, but Matilda's Medis is so new to it, she was still, she seemed quite in awe and quite uh, stunned by it all, but she was great. <laughs> so playing that hero, it's got a, an interesting little like personal touch now because I've yeah. met the voice behind it, which is Absolutely. nice. Absolutely. Um, but no, the, the hero is, is someone who I didn't, when I first heard the announcement, and mm -hmm. when I first heard what the character, the idea for the character was, the idea of this kind of combined flex tank support yep. hybrid kind of role, I immediately, I think I texted you straight away, yeah. and I said, this sounds like my hero. Yeah. Like, because if I'm playing, I'm generally playing a support hero or a tank, <laughs> and if you've got one that's both, that's me. Yeah. Um, and I, I started out, and I tried her a few times, and I, I couldn't get on with her to begin with. More so because I was playing against her more than I was playing as her, yeah. and she was hard. Definitely. <laughs> I kept losing to Brigitte <laughs> players, so I got frustrated. Um, but then I actually, I played the hero, and I got a hang of how the abilities work, and how yeah. the ultimate works, and the range of the weapon, and all that kind of stuff, and suddenly realized that this is an astounding hero. Yeah. This is, this is a really cool, like, balanced way of bridging that tank support 
gap that you didn't think was there or that you needed to fix, but yeah. they have anyway, and it's great. Um, the idea of having a hero who's got the high-end, you know, a defense hero's HP, mm-hmm. but then a shield as strong as a tank and an armor healing ability... Those are those are incredible stats, and that's an, yeah. I've had a lot of fun playing that hero. Absolutely, you know, I've had a very very similar experience in the time that I've been playing Overwatch. I've seen Doomfist come in, then Moira, and obviously now um, now seeing Brigitte come in. And Doomfist I never really bonded with. I didn't play DPS. I know a lot of people have liked him or, or not liked him at different times, but you know, I never really bonded with it. Moira coming in was very very exciting, and I've had a few good games as Moira, but she's not one of my main heroes. Um, if I'm playing support. It now is Brigitte, but it used to obviously be Mercy as one of the main uh, kind of healers that I would play. Again, never really bonded with Moira, but Brigitte felt different somehow. You know, like you say, she was this big, sturdy tank. That shield is one of my favorite things. Bashing people off a ledge is just Bash is incredibly so good. fun. So good. Having that flail um, is a great kind of primary weapon, and then being able to kind of um, <laughs> not so affectionately boop people from a long distance <laughs> just to hit them with that Hammer flail boop. is so much fun. And then I think one of the great things is the the amount of actions that she has. I don't necessarily mean abilities. I just mean things that she can do in a game. There's so many of them. And for somebody like myself, in a game, I want to be doing stuff all the time. It's one of the reasons I've liked Junkrat previously. Yeah. is because you you're doing things constantly. You're firing grenades. You're doing dropping mines and, and traps. You're doing stuff all the time. And it's the same with Brigitte. You know, you're keeping this team together. You're healing people and throwing out armor. You're running into the front line of people and smashing them in the face of the shield. And even at distance, before you've even properly engaged them, you're hitting them with the flail. It's fantastic to just get to do so much and be this force that just brings everybody and literally rallies them with your ultimate and rallies them together in there. It's awesome to see. I was really surprised to see the range on that flail. Yeah. Because I did the thing which everyone, I'm sure everyone does in a game. And when you're in the, the spawn at the very beginning before the game starts, <laughs> I walked around smashing the place up. Absolutely. And it's a time on a tradition. Exactly. And I uh, was trying out and to see quite what the range on the flail was. And yeah. it was it was very surprising. It was a lot Definitely. longer than I thought it was, just for the, the regular standard attack. Yeah, flail snipe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So I need to bring it back because you mentioned there, you mentioned Doomfist. Yes. And this is a hero I don't understand and I want to understand. So tell me about it. So this is a hero, and again, I, I base a lot of my, my thinking on it, on how it works in the Overwatch League. Because yeah. I'm looking at professional players, and I'm thinking, who are they playing? Exactly. You know, what are their team comps? What do they think is working and the best way to win? Yeah. And, because let's face it, playing the game is fun, winning is better. Yeah. There's a lot to but, learn from them, definitely. Not definitely. everything, but a lot of what they do is going to be relevant. But what I'm seeing a lot of recently, and again, this is mostly relevant in quick play where I live, uh-huh. I'm seeing a lot of Doomfist. Hmm. And, but you don't really see him in the league. Yeah. Well, I've not seen him much at all. And yet, I've seen a lot of him in quick play recently. People are taking the Doomfist and having a lot of fun with him. And it's a hero I, I don't quite understand. Yeah. Because you have that, that, that charge ability to stun your opponent. You have that kind of weird back-of-the-hand shotgun ranged <laughs> ability. But I don't the kind I don't, of the, the baby Genji shirk and yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, but I don't get him. Because it's like, if the league aren't playing him, yeah. and the league don't see the value of him in a team composition. But people still love that hero. But in a couple of times I've played him when I've played in sort of random matches and those kind of things, I just haven't really enjoyed playing the yeah. character at all. So I'm trying to work out, is there is there something I'm missing about him? Is there something that he brings to, the, to a team that I, I don't really get? I don't know what you thought about it. I think this is one of the great things about Overwatch is because there are so many different kinds of play styles, there's so many different kinds of players, this is one that I can hold my hands up and go, very similar to yourself, this doesn't really make much sense to me. In the case of, I haven't really found the rhythm to him. And for me, you know, most characters have a rhythm. I don't necessarily mean a sequence, 
but there's usually a couple of things that you can do and you do them in a certain way quite regularly in a lot of different situations and it feels like you've got a rhythm you know there's a there's a movement to them in that way um for one great example with diva is kind of her sequence that's quite famous now of kind of boosting and firing rockets and shooting your, your main weapon that will just delete people off the map that will just completely eliminate them anytime you throw that at most people yeah um with sombra i'd spawn in on deathmatch i'd drop a, a teleportation pack a transportation pack um hack a health pack, go invisible, run and find somebody. And if it got too hairy, zip back to the teleportation. I was doing that every single time I was spawning, that little loop, because it worked so well. I can't find that with Doomfist. And I know that it must exist, but it just it isn't one that I've managed to find yet. And I think as well, in terms of it being an Overwatch League, and this is kind of uh, just my kind of armchair coaching, my, my kind of thoughts on that, I feel like he almost doesn't play well with others. He feels like less of a team player. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean in the lore, I just mean in terms of a lot of the characters they pick work so well with everybody else. They're either just pure damage like Tracer, where it's just, okay, get that out as quick as possible. But even Tracer's mobility means that she can go and assist people quickly as needed. Yeah. A lot of the people that we see them playing, your Widowmaker, for example, I see you. they are useful to every single player, whereas I feel like Doomfist maybe isn't, except for in certain situations. I think you've seen him a few times kind of in, in those kind of pinch moments where you need to move that cart that last little bit um, on certain maps, uh, you know, Numbani or whatever it might be. You need to move things forward that last little bit, and Doomfist is great then because he's just going to pile damage into a small, tight area. But the rest of the time, maybe he's just not as useful for the whole of the team. Yeah, and I can see that. I think that I've, I've recently encountered him in deathmatch games as well. And yeah, yeah, he does stand up a lot better on his own. Absolutely. For, for definite. But yeah, it was, just, it was just a weird one, a weird anomaly, I thought. Yeah. So I thought if you wanted a character with a, you know, a stunning ability, Generally, you're going to play uh, McCree, or you're going to yep. play uh, Brigitte now. You know, if you wanted that kind of um, uh, the, 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 the similar damage to his ranged weapon, you've got someone like Engi, like you mentioned. You know, his, his, his very similar style of, of shot and damage as yep. Genji has. So it just kind of felt like a weird hero for me. I mean, a cool-looking hero, don't get me yep. wrong, but a, a weird one and where that kind of fit. I mean, may, may, maybe it's one I'll revisit. Maybe after a little bit of somber play, maybe we're still with Deathmatch, obviously. Maybe that's one I'll revisit and just kind of try my hand at again, maybe. Uh, and see with all of the changes that happened since. I mean, this is one of the great things about Overwatch again. All of the changes that happen, even if it's not to that character, the way the other characters change, that can change the feel of playing somebody. So maybe that's one to revisit. Yeah, definitely. So we do talk about the League. We yep. do bring it up all the time because of, of how can you not? It's incredible. Um, and there's something I've got to mention yep. because as I've said before, I am a Philly Fusion fan. And although Philly Fusion can be a frustrating team to support <laughs> because they're not always the most consistent team, there's a thing we've got to bring up and it's um, the reintroduction of uh, Sato because yep. Sato suffered the, what well, I believe is the longest ban thus far in Overwatch League yeah. uh, for something that I just think is... It's just stupid, right? Yep. Like, playing other people's accounts and boosting the levels. Just like, come on, man. Just You're getting signed to a professional team. Yeah. Why do that? You're earning um, enough. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. These guys are getting paid well. And I, why risk that? Why risk yeah. that opportunity? You know, and he did. And he was out for, you know, three out of four stages in the first Ooh. season. That's a significant ban. So, fair enough. He's, he served his time and yeah. hopefully learned his lesson. Definitely. Uh, and then you've got Hoppa who has been there and showed up in a couple of earlier stages, but mm -hmm. only here and, you know, occasionally. Yeah. And now he's been introduced. So now you've got a, a starting six for Philly, which is predominantly three Korean players um, and then a mix of, of other nationalities. And it's wielding some interesting results. Definitely. And Definitely. the one I have to talk about is their play against the Florida Mayhem. Yep. 
on the map Oasis. Definitely. Which I am proud to say <laughs> is the first perfect map in the Overwatch League, which is ending in a, uh, a kill-to-death of 40 kills and zero deaths. Just staggering. And it was stunning to watch. Yeah. And again, I'm saying that as a fan, mm-hmm. but also as someone who just likes the game, some of the plays they pulled off were unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I think that the the uh, being able to see, I think it was three consecutive team kills against the Mayhem, and the Mayhem are a team where their 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 um, standings and their their sorry, just completely forgotten the word. Their what's the word for their wins and losses? Uh, the win loss ratio. Sure. Yeah, we'll go so, with that. So they're a team whose who's win loss ratio isn't great yep. but they are a team who have very good players and they do have great moments right yeah. um, you know players like Manitin Zupe they're great players mm-hmm. but they've not been great in the league so far uh, so but they were a team that could well have surprised us I think Definitely. but then uh, to see that kind of play three consecutive team kills was just stunning and, yeah. and uh, one particular moment that, that stood up for me was Sato who I hadn't seen play yet really yeah. comes into the team plays Reinhardt, which is traditionally Fraggy's hero, because mm-hmm. he's famous for playing Reinhardt. And Sato pulled off the Earthshatter ability, which is our, you know, our namesake for this podcast. Um, he hid behind a corner. The team pulled back. They allowed the entirety of the Florida Mayhem yep. to come through a doorway. He hit almost all of them with an Earthshatter, yep. which then led to the rest of the Philly Fusion Pouncing on well, the only job then was to just mop them up. Wasn't exactly, it? and it was absolutely stunning yeah. because it was a perfect trap that I presume Florida had no idea was coming, or else they wouldn't have gone into it. Um, and it was just something unbelievable to see a, a victory like that, forty and zero, and I say especially heartening to see it being Phil you pull it off. Definitely. I mean, I one thing I want to know was was that Earth Shadow was that something they prepped and practiced, or was that improvised? That would be fascinating to know. And I think for myself, you know. Uh, I followed the Philly Fusion for quite a while because you've started following them. My team that I originally picked was kind of the San Francisco Shock, and they will always hold a, a dear place in my heart. But, you know, we, we alluded to it in the last episode of this podcast, and we talked about, or I talked about people going to sports for stories or going for sports for kind of figures and stats and numbers. I could care less almost about the win-loss ratio until it comes down to that kind of that last moment and you're seeing who's going to go to the actual playoffs and the end stages of the finals what I come for is more of these stories and this game is going to go down in history of the Overwatch League for however long that runs as being one of the best games if I'm getting anybody into Overwatch League I'd maybe recommend a more mixed game first and then this game straight away after it to go this is how good that can be this is what happens when a team plays just as if there's six of the same person playing as if they're all perfectly connected as some kind of hive mind this is what happens where you can pull off three team kills in one round where you can get things like earth shatter and you know the other one as well the the zarya um graviton surge followed by farah releasing her missile barrage yeah that just again erased the entire team off that point and they just couldn't recover anything they tried they'd get out the spawn and within you know a few seconds they were just being eliminated immediately and the whole team three times. And yeah, 40-0 is, is just staggering. You even had the commentators at a couple of key moments going, come on, you can get one kill. Like, just they were rooting for the other team I know. just to get even a single kill. And they came close a couple of times, but they never managed it. They just couldn't pull it off. Yeah. And I think that it showed the, I think the quality of the supports 
at, at Philadelphia, there weren't any kills because, of course, the overall play was fantastic. Yeah. They were putting on the, the Mayhem team. Yeah. But it was also, uh, generally, you've got Neptuno who plays Mercy more than anything else. And he's he's probably the most incredible battle Mercy you've ever seen. <laughs> like, he gets kills. I saw him in a game, I think it was, uh, trying to work out if it was the one before um, the Mayhem game. I don't know the yeah. specifics. It was on Dorado. And it was, he went one-on-one mm-hmm. with an opposing Widowmaker. Sure. Like, I, I, he just went at him with the blaster. Yeah. And, and he won that battle against a Widowmaker. It was just like, that's not how you play Mercy, surely. <laughs> like, that's crazy. But he'll, he will, he's a player who will charge out and, and yeah. get resurrections in a way that most players wouldn't risk it. Yeah. He just, he just does that. And sometimes it doesn't pay off, but other times it really does. And in that Oasis, that was an example of what place where they did put heroes down, but there was always a res. Always Absolutely. ready to get them back in to cancel that kill out, um, and that was just that's a game that will stay with me. Yeah, um, and that's you know that 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 is a real testament to both kind of halves of that team. The DPS for having the discipline not to try and overextend and press an advantage when it can be so tempting just to follow that one player or just go round that corner and try and get that extra bit of damage in. And it's it's a testament to their discipline, but it's also a testament to the supports, as you say, you know, to keep everybody up, to keep everybody healed, to in some real key moments where people did get a little bit low to be there to top them up. There are so many teams we see that just can't quite pull off that coordination, and those guys were there the moment anybody needed them. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that stood out, and I think it was just so cool to watch. If you get a chance, people, go Definitely. watch it. It's like nine minutes long. Yeah. It's so quick. <laughs> one of the shortest games, yes. one of the best games. But it really, it really will stand out as something that you'll remember, I think. Absolutely. Something else I wanted to talk about. Now, they mentioned uh, a few weeks ago they introduced a couple new maps yeah. to the league. And that was uh, Rialto, which showed itself first in the uh, most recent event. Yep, uh, it's the anniversary up. event. Yeah. Uh, following Uprising, this one was... Retribution. There you go. That's the and, word. And that map, in that yeah, that that, um, that game mode, it was a really cool map. Yeah. I think that the fact that it came out into the main game afterwards was a great move. So Rialto Definitely. and Petra. Petra, which is a map I didn't get a chance to play until today for the first time, actually, which was really cool. Um, so I thought we'd have a chat about those maps and how, what kind of differences they bring to the game from ones we've seen already. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rialto's that kind of longer um, payload kind of map. You know, you're trying to push something around. Um, one of the great bits of fun that I've had on it is seeing people hop onto the gondolas, onto the little boats that are going through the lake. Again, Brigitte's flail is incredibly useful for just bopping them into the water. <laughs> These people can literally save the world, but cannot swim, apparently, <laughs> according to Blizzard. That is something in video games that always gets me. You can <laughs> climb walls, you can fly, yep. you can take a rocket to the face, but you can't swim. And swim. It's that one downfall. They're, yep. they're Achilles' heel for all of Overwatch. No swimming. The world needs swimmers. <laughs> the world definitely needs swimmers. Uh, they're all ruined by Rialto. Um, but no, absolutely. That, that's just an incredibly fun move to just knock people off slightly. And... Um, I really, really enjoyed Retribution. You know, I, I think that that story mode, seeing more of, of um, Blackwatch and that kind of Black Ops side of things. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there originally for Uprising. I've kind of played that afterwards. Um, or I think I caught the end of Uprising, maybe. Um, and then afterwards, kind of seeing that in the in the archives, um, seeing the Blackwatch side. I hate blenders, man. <laughs> Me too. So I think I caught the end of Uprising, um, or maybe, you know, I've played it now in the in the archives, obviously, and kind of fighting the Omnix. That's a great initial bit of that story. But actually seeing in Retribution the way that Blackwatch worked and the way that things don't go right all the time, um, that was incredibly fun to play for me. Uh, and seeing Rialto in a different light and um, playing it as a payload map. Out of the two maps, I've got to be honest, I think I enjoy Petra more. To be fair, that may be because I've played more of it. 
um, and because Petra is so different because it's a deathmatch map it yeah. very much fits to deathmatch it's yeah. kind of all around that kind of central um, uh, kind of quadrant that, that kind of four walled uh, little area that quad but each of the walls has different exit points and entry points on which yeah. you can come in high you can come in low the ground falls away in the middle that's, uh, that's a, a big one for me you put destructible terrain and you put because yep. it, it's always been Overwatch has always been quite clever at having bits of destructible terrain yeah. whether that's walls or, or, or um, railings those kind of sure. things but the idea that you can actually drop out a floor yeah. and beneath that floor is instant death it's just like, a chasm yeah. uh, I was actually playing a game on Petra earlier today where there was a, a quite a battle going on in that central quadrant as you mentioned and there were lots of explosions going off and then I saw not uh, yeah it was actually three separate players fall into that chasm uh, one fell one tried to get away what was being shot at so got distracted and fell in and then the third one who'd done the <laughs> shooting tried to get out but then got caught in and fell in as well Wonderful. so it was really it's quite devastating yeah, as the feature to have on the map but quite a, a cool and obviously in this case quite a unique thing yeah, so I far mean, one of my highlights playing Petra as Sombra has been placing a you know a, a transportation pack translocation pack and then running off a high ledge towards that central quad with somebody chasing me and after I've fallen off the ledge run off the ledge down I know that the floor's gone so I've hit the translocator and teleported to safety the other player has continued to follow me and has then fallen to their death because the floor wasn't there. So That's a great move. Somebody off the ledge. That's it a great was, move. I don't think I could pull it off again even if I tried, but that one accident of going, oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to be great, that was a lot of fun. As well as that kind of 500, that, that big health pack right in the middle of that quad, as a summer player, if you hack that, the look of sadness when a Reaper that's low on health tries to go for it and they just can't. It's so wonderful to see. It's such a nice map for these kind of small little moments of just joy to, to kind of show themselves. So you mentioned there uh, Reaper on, on Petra especially. So I, I've started playing uh, competitive deathmatch because they've launched competitive deathmatch now. Amazing. Which is, I think, a great idea to introduce more competitive modes. Yep. People want to take Overwatch very seriously. They want to, um, they want to, I think people like to be ranked. They Definitely. like to know where they stand in things. And quick play is great. And I enjoy that for the, um, the feeling of uh, getting experience and getting new loot boxes and trying new characters and those kind of things. But the idea of being able to sort of rank yourself and see where you stand amongst everyone else is a great feeling. So they've put that in for Deathmatch as well. Now I've been a bit of a, uh, not a, not a vocal critic of Deathmatch. <laughs> I mean, I, I've played it and it's, it's fun to play every now and again. Mm -hmm. But I, I very much see Overwatch as a team-based game. Yeah. And when you go into a game mode which is free-for-all, you lose all of the kind of uh, the nuance of building a team, of having a composition that benefits other characters and having a hero that can support others. So that kind of you know, hit me as a bit jarring, I guess. But, you know, it, it's a bit of fun to play, especially for heroes like Sombra. Yeah. Uh, and other DPS heroes, you can zip around the map and do cool things. But I tried, I played um, a few competitive games to get my competitive ranking and see where I stood. Yeah. Not great, is a spoiler. <laughs> um, but I found that because of the fact that when you're in a team-based game, whether that's quick play, whether that's uh, traditional comp, you've got a balance mm. because you can only have one of each hero per side. And if you have go all tanks, then you're slow when you're lumbering and you can't heal and the rest yeah. of it. If you go all DPS, then you're small and nimble, but you've got very low health. You've got to have that balance. Definitely. In Deathmatch, there isn't that. So what you have is you have some heroes that are incredibly powerful in certain ways, and you can't really guarantee that you can counter that because yeah. you haven't got your team backing you up. And the biggest one, the reason I'm, I'm 
going on about it is because you mentioned Reaper. Yep. And I found that my experience with it was Reaper has an ability where you can move to remote parts of the map very quickly with his teleportation style ability. Yep. He has the ability where he can go uh, ethereal and move quickly and invulnerably around as well. So he's useful. Very good at match. Exactly. Uh, he's got Death Blossom, which is an incredibly powerful ultimate ability. Absolutely. And he's got his Hellfire Shotguns, which do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And you generally need to point roughly in the direction of someone, and you're probably <laughs> going to put some damage you're on gonna them. You're going to clip them. Yeah. Even at the littlest, you're going to clip them. And what I found was that when I played the matches, of the, the 10 competitive placement matches that I played, probably 60 or 70% of them were won by Reapers. Yeah. And, I, and that just hit me as a little bit of a... I don't know. I, I, you could say that I could have played Reaper too. I, I know that. But I'm not a great Reaper player, which is why in a, a team, I'll often play a tank or a support, as I mentioned. Yeah. But then you've got it where you've got, you know, maybe of the eight people on the, on the game, perhaps half of them playing as Reaper. And you just sure. like, you take away the, the subtlety of a team game. You yeah. know, you take away the kind of structure and balance, I feel. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's fair to say Deathmatch isn't my play style. There are sure. others who are, are, are going to be totally cool with that and are going to flourish in that, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's definitely not for me. Sure. You know, I, 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 I'm kind of in a similar position, but I, I think Deathmatch offers some real interesting opportunities. Um, I think originally, if I remember correctly, a lot of the devs weren't, were kind of against a Deathmatch mode and definitely against kind of a team Deathmatch mode. They wanted it to be a kind of almost team collaborative thing rather than just a straightforward basic FPS team deathmatch so I think they were kind of against deathmatch originally but they listened to the player base and they kind of brought this out they tried it for a bit and now they've kind of brought it there permanently and it's a competitive thing but it offers a lot of really really interesting opportunities because deathmatch it allows you to play other characters I'm playing Sombra you've been you know we've all been experimenting with other characters and needing to because we need that DPS we can't rely on that support or even that tank really we need to play some DPS to win anything in deathmatch but it allows them a real opportunity to for something that we talked about before, which is people that want to play it solo. People that don't have a team. It's great in Overwatch League when you've been recruited into a team, but if you don't have a team and you're, you kind of, you've played quite a bit of quick play, maybe you want to do something different and solo where it's just you versus the other players. You don't necessarily want to be a team where somebody's letting you down or somebody's not playing to quite the same level that you believe you are. I say believe because some people definitely inflate how well they think they play. But you don't play to that they don't play to that level that you expect and actually you're not having a good time because you know somebody's insta-locking a hero that you wanted or somebody's kind of uh, giving people grief in the chat and actually you just want to play to your abilities and play deathmatch or you've had an instant Hanzo main as of course you know the, the most useful of heroes when we also have two <laughs> other snipers on there because oh, yeah. when you've got a Widow and an Anna all you need is a Hanzo complete the hat trick yeah. um, and I think with competitive uh, deathmatch, it kind of validates people in some way. It lets people go, yeah, I can still be competitive as an individual in that way, rather than needing a whole team. And also, you know, you mentioned it's, it's good to play quick play, but any form of competitive is important. And this is what gives a, a, a um, multiplayer kind of uh, FPS game. It gives it that sense of progression. We don't progress the heroes in any way because they have the same abilities every time. It's something that we've both talked about liking in Overwatch is how consistent and every time you play it, it's the same hero, the same abilities. They don't kind of rank up in that way. The only thing you really get for rank in Overwatch is more loot boxes, which I will always take more loot boxes, but that's all that you really get for it. And, you know, just the joy of having done it. But levels alone aren't enough. Seeing your rank move up or down, that's the progression. You know, people call it the ladder. Literally true. You know, you're moving up a ladder. It's that progression that gives people purpose. And so seeing that in Deathmatch, it kind of validates Deathmatch players. The other thing there, of course, is that because Reaper's winning a lot, 
if we look at it from a game design point, all that tells me is that he's too powerful. And what do we do when a hero is too powerful? Well, we nerf them. They either get buffs if they're too weak or nerfs if they're at a very, very basic level. We'd buff them. We'd, we'd make them more powerful or less powerful with a nerf. So it's interesting to maybe think that we could see different buffs and nerfs for deathmatch. We could make a hero stronger in a way that they haven't been in uh, quick player in comp. Now, I don't know if I like that idea or not. Uh, it's not one that we have any knowledge of or any kind of announcements about, but it wouldn't surprise me if we did see that, if Reaper became less powerful just in deathmatch to balance that game there. If the core game's a team game, absolutely, that's the main focus. But actually, maybe some nerfs are worthwhile just when they're in deathmatch. You make a great point there. I hadn't really ever, I hadn't really considered the idea that if you're a solo player, you might not feel the most comfortable in a team yeah. environment. I think that, because I look at it as I'll play in quick play, I will very rarely be a part of the team chat. Yeah. Um, which makes me one of the worst kind of people, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> Don't worry, I'm the same. Yeah. I mean, if, I play com if I play competitive, I will be in the chat. Don't worry. Sure. But if I'm playing quick play, I generally won't be. Yeah. Um, but you're right. If someone wants to, to rate themselves and they want to have that kind of validation almost, if you want, yeah. uh, for lack of a better word, but they don't want to play in a team, you're right. There's a, you know, if someone is a, you get the occasional player who is great on their own, but perhaps uh, we've, all, we've all seen a player when you're playing in a team and everyone's all set up and you're all about to, to hit a point or whatever it is, and that person will go off and get kills, <laughs> and that person will go off and do their own thing. And they'll be yeah. great individually, but they will not benefit. They will not add extra value to your team yeah. because they're doing their own thing. Yeah, they're going and spraying the side of a building rather than moving the payload. Yeah, so perhaps those are the kind of players that will benefit and will see the, the, the most out of competitive deathmatch. Yeah. Um, and also, your, your second point, the idea of testing out the heroes mm -hmm. and kind of seeing where their strengths and weaknesses are in a different setting yep. might lend itself to, to different balances in the future. So, you know, that's a really good point. It's a really good point. Nice. So I think we're about hitting the end of this episode. So before yeah. we go, I'm just going to simply put out there and say, what's the next hero you're going to play? Who are you going to play next mostly? I think after that, it's going to have to be Doomfist. Like, really? I think I'm going to try Doomfist. This may go badly wrong in about a week's time. Actually, I'm on holiday next week, but in about two weeks' time, I may go back and just go, I, I don't like Doomfist. <laughs> I, I know I don't like Doomfist. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be playing a lot of D.Va, play now playing a lot of Brigitte, and now starting to play some Sombra. So I think it's going to be Doomfist to try. Try and get good. Get Very good brave. at Doomfist. I think, for me, I want to be good at Zarya. Mm. I it's, it's, she's the one tank I haven't really played at all. badass as uh, well. I know. And I think I want to play her because she's, uh, you know, she's big right now in the meta. As you said, that combination of a Grav and Rocket Barrage or a Grav and, and Spirit Dragon or, yep. or what, such a such a cool, and it's not called Spirit Dragon. I forget what his ultimate actually called, Hanzo. Which one? Who's Hanzo's? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Dragon Strike? Yes, Dragon Strike and Dragon Blade. Sounds right. Dragon Strike and Dragon Blade sounds so. right. We're gonna I'll, get somebody that's gonna give us the almighty correction yeah. somehow. But if let's I'm go wrong, with that for if now. I'm wrong, please correct me. Yeah, um, please. Spirit Dragon. He shouts, "I choose you, Spirit Dragon." I'm going with that. Yeah, so it's that, like that, a Beyblade, right? Yeah, this is the same thing, right? <laughs> um, but that combination, the grab and those abilities, means that they lend themselves really well to that kind of combined effort. So mm. I want to get good at Zarya, so I might give her yeah. a try. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. So that's it for this episode of the Overwatch Players Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dave. And I'm Richard. And we'll see you later.
The world could always use more heroes.